Greetings and welcome to Smart Loving Conversations, the place where we discuss all things Catholic marriage. I'm Francine Parola. And I'm Laura Kane from Smart Loving, a global network that accompanies couples as we together explore how to maximise the good times and learn from the bad ones. With our guests, we explore love, marriage, family and living the Catholic faith, setting our sights on heaven while keeping our feet on the ground or in the mud and muck that life throws our way. We've been there and so have our guests. Join us for better and for worse as we dive deep into real-life conversations of struggle and triumph. Welcome, friends and listeners of Radio Maria Australia. Our Smart Loving Conversation today is about young and married, myths, minefields and unexpected blessings. But first, we want to introduce our guest, Michael Payton, and his wife, Amanda, who are graduates of the Smart Loving Engaged course. They've been married for four and a half years and have two daughters. And relevant to our discussion today, Michael was only 23 years of age when they tied the knot. So, Michael, do you want to tell us more about yourself and what you do? Sure. Thanks, Laura and Francine, so much for having me on your show today. Um, I'm a music teacher by trade. But uh, I also offer service to my school, which is St. Augustine's College in Brookvale, as the uh, leader of liturgies and retreats. So that's in charge of all things, masses, retreats, liturgies, and the faith life of our college. They're, they're a lucky school to have you in that position because I know from our history, Michael and, and I go back some years. Michael actually was in the same year group as one of our sons at St. Aloysius College. So that was probably, you graduated, uh, what, 10, 12 years ago now? 10 years ago. 10 years ago. So it's great to see you and connect with you and be part of your journey of preparation for marriage years ago and, and this conversation now. Thanks, Francine. Yeah, it was a joy to do that um, preparation and wonderful to cross paths again. Well, we're so pleased you're here, friends. But Fran and Michael, before we get into the topic, I just want to ask, how has your walk been with the Lord these past few days? Well, I'm on recovery from COVID at the moment. So it's my first official encounter with COVID. I feel like I've had so many respiratory infections over the last two years, but this is the first time I've actually tested positive. And I'm noticing, I've just been reflecting a little bit, when my body's broken and ill, I tend to just retreat and shut down and enter into a sort of a bit of escapism. And I'm just asking the Lord to be present to me in that space and reflect on, well, why? I mean, I often think, well, okay, I'm not working. I've got more time. I could be actually praying more or getting that precious time. But I don't. I actually just I shut right down. So I'm just being attentive to that and see what the Lord wants to teach me in that kind of reaction and see where that goes. Sorry to hear you've been sick, Fran. That's yeah, oh, look, it was pretty mild by comparison to what some people have experienced, but it is an interesting just to reflect on how, how do we respond when our bodies don't work as well as we want them to. Yeah. And what about you, Michael? I've been walking through that idea of what's God calling me to professionally recently and uh, just thinking about the long game and you know, that question of where do I want to be in, in 10 years uh, has been dwelling in my prayer recently and uh, wondering what my pathway might be to best serve the needs of the church and to serve the needs of my family. So that's been coming into my prayer a lot, that discernment process of our long-term career pathway. Yeah, wow. Big questions and conversations with God. Mm, but joyful ones. Yes, absolutely. Well, for myself and my own walk with the Lord, I've just been a little bit, I think it's getting to the end of the year. I don't know if you guys are tired, a little bit overwhelmed. I've just been, when I'm feeling that way, just turning on Spotify and 
looking up Matt Ma's great praise and worship song, Lord, I Need You. And there's one particular lyric that it's like, every hour I need you. And it's like, okay, just one hour at a time. Mm. <laughs> and so I, I love that song. And also um, In Christ Alone is a beautiful one. So I'll just have a lay down, close my eyes and just pray through the lyrics and listen to the lyrics. So that's been my walk with the Lord. <laughs> this I love I love that song by Matt Maher. It's so soulful. It's oh, almost it really moving, isn't it? It's, I was it's listening like, to... Um, that song today both of those songs i listened to today actually did you yeah, well <laughs> oh, that's a nice connection shall we dive into our topic young and married absolutely so i thought i'd start with just a little bit of some of the data and the research it's been no news to anybody that the median age of marriage has been increasing over the past six decades or so it's actually a global phenomenon so in the 1960s when we look at the data there the median age for women was 20 and for men was 23 compared to say 2019 where it was 30 and a half for women and just over 32 for men so it's roughly an increase of 10 years, a delay of 10 years in the median age. And just a, a reminder for our listeners that the median age is, is not an average. It's the, the point, it's the age at which half of the cohort has reached something. So in 1960, 50% of women had married by the age of 20 and 50% were yet to marry. It's just as a kind of a insight into how that median age data works. And there could be lots of reasons why this is happening. A key one, I think, is the extended duration of education. And if you add in a few gap years after school before people kind of complete their vocational training and so on, that just leads to delays in wage earning and financial independence, which is often a key marker of readiness for marriage is when young people have that financial independence. The other factors that come up are things like, well, because culture has changed in terms of the taboo around premarital sex, that couples don't need to marry in order to live together or to engage in sexual activity. So there's not the sense of urgency around seeking marriage in order to pursue those aspects of their lives or their relationship. And another one that comes up a lot, we see it in our couples that come through our Engage course, they can have quite long engagements. So they might have made the decision to marry, but they might have an engagement of you know, one and a half or two or more years. And that's often related to the expense of the wedding and saving up and planning the grand wedding. So, and there's probably others as well, but Michael, just to throw it open to you, I mean, this topic's really personal for you, um, having married at 23 and quite recently, only four and a half years ago. Tell us about your love story and the challenges that you faced when you and Amanda decided to marry. Sure. I only had one partner before I met Amanda and she was a wonderful person. She wasn't a Catholic practicing Catholic. And um, that ultimately was uh, the reason for our relationship ending. So when I left that relationship, I came away with an extreme clarity around uh, what I wanted from a spouse. And, and that was just just deep faith, deep faith in, in, um, in the journey, someone that I could walk with on the journey with, with God. And uh, when uh, when I was working at the North Sydney Parish as a as a youth minister and, and a music minister, I, um, I I made a conscious effort always to invite more young adults into our, our our sphere and to take them out for dinner and to have talks and uh, go, we would go out for drinks and we'd have a quite a, a wild social life on a Sunday night after after mass. And there was one uh, one lady that. I noticed in the church one night that I sort of recognized from the Catholic scene. Uh, Laura will know, and Francie, I'm sure that there's this young Catholic scene that you kind of just see lots of young people around. And I noticed her 
recognized her and and made a mental note to approach her one day and so i did and um invited her to the social uh, side of our, our parish and then uh she came along and, and had lots of fun with the, in the parish with the other young people separate to that i was doing some work for the diocese as a worship leader for their music events and i happened to be playing in a band for a worship night and uh, rocked up at the rehearsal and the lead singer of course was this young woman who i'd met in the church just a couple of weeks prior who i thought i recognized from some so we ended up uh, sharing our gifts together as musicians before really even knowing each other i take full responsibility for the fact that i was very distracted in those rehearsals and never even <laughs> acknowledged her but uh it worked out really well for us we um we became very good friends and entered into a really wonderful relationship that was centered on both of our commitment to our parish and uh, then we married in that parish we we lived in that parish for a long time had our first child baptized there and um and i've moved out for other reasons but in terms of the challenges that that we faced when we were deciding to marry one of the reasons why i was keen to get married was because i had i had experienced so much clarity in that previous relationship around what i wanted that once i had it i didn't want to let it go and to me marriage made the most sense in terms of that permanency of the relationship and so amanda my wife fulfilled everything that i desired in my marriage vocation i also really wanted to be a young dad so that wasn't a hard question about marrying young because in our catholic faith marriage comes before the children so i wanted to get on with it and um, start the family and build a life together with amanda that that was driving me in uh, in my in my discernment and uh, it was actually at world youth day in poland in front of our lady of chesterhova that uh, mm -hmm. um, that i was able to experience the clarity that god speaks into our hearts in those wow. times of deep discernment that allowed me to cross over the line there. Um, but some of the challenges that we faced were certainly friendship circles and the social sort of shock from yeah. a lot of people. And it was just that. It was just a shock. Never, never anything more negative than that, but always mm -hmm. a shock. Oh, that's that's very shocking. Aren't you aren't you young? Yes, I'm young, and yes, I'm getting married. And uh, yes, I've thought it through. But I'm not really one to take any of that kind of sort of those criticisms with any more than a grain of salt, because uh, in my own heart, I knew that God was calling me to this. And it's so lovely to be able to have the foundation of your marriage on the basis of shared ministry and shared service. That gives you a foundation and a friendship that is pure gold in terms of the longevity of your relationship. Like it's a really good compared to the couple where they're building the foundation of the relationship on just mutual fun or recreational interests, for example, where it, it, you can do it. And that's how most of us have built our marriages. But I think you get a special gift when there's a, a ministry that's the, um, the origins, a shared ministry that's the origins of your relationship. I was 21 when I married. Byron was a bit older. He was 27. But I had a lot of negative comments came my way when I was getting married. I was still at university and studying my honours year as a very good student. And from my supervisor to friends, to my brother's friends, who's he's a bit older than me, just saying straight out, you are too young to get married and you're wasting your abilities. I had quite a lot of negative pushback. I mean, I was so 
in love with it and, you know, just brushed it off, you know, what off a duck's back, it didn't slow me down. But it used to make me think, well, what was the alternative? If, if they think I'm too young to marry, what am I supposed to do? Just break up or move in together? Like it didn't seem, it, it, they seem like really silly. They're reactionary comments that often I don't think people think through very well. When you find somebody that you know is marriage material, you kind of want to move on it. You don't want to wait around and cancel them out and go go back into the dating pool. So I'm, I guess I'm cu- curious also to hear from you, if you Michael and Laura as well, what do you think is the main factor for delaying marriage in your generation? And does FOMO, you know, this whole fear of missing out thing, do you think that's playing a role at all? I think that the, the F in FOMO is the reason. It's fear. Mm-hmm. Yes, there is a fear of missing out, but there's also a fear of failure. Um, considering statistically how many young people today witness a broken marriage uh, and perhaps fear for that themselves, um, there must be there must be a fear associated with it. I, I, I just um, I was talking to Amanda about this throughout the week, and fear is something that can drive you to to retreat and to to not want to explore new horizons. And marriage is a new horizon. And there are so many other aspects of our culture where we don't explore new horizons anymore out of fear. And we only have to look at the last two years to see that um, for us in in my professional life, we've had a much lower uptake for um, World Youth Day because uh, in part a lot of parents fearful of their their boys travelling overseas. And uh, so how much does fear of the unknown play a part? I think that's, for me, that's the key. Yeah, it's interesting. I think there's some of your generation that's incredibly bold and optimistic and almost defiantly so, but there's also, I think, the pandemic and the lockdowns has really undermined that confidence a lot. And there's a lot of mental health at the extreme end, but also just a delay in that kind of development of confidence and maturity that um, has been, you know, the consequence of stalling their lives for two to three years. Laura, do you have any thoughts you want to share? Look, I got married in my mid-20s, but I would have been open to getting married sooner, but I just hadn't found the right person yet. So it was handy being in my mid-20s. I did have a career. I had gotten through my studies, um, but I wouldn't have been opposed to getting married while studying. I think another thing that I'm hearing from my cohort age group Living in Sydney is expensive, so people want to have a big celebration. They want the beautiful dress, designer dress and the cake and everything like that and the photographer, but it can cost a lot to do that. So that can play a reason in delaying getting married. Uh, We can't afford it right now. It would be wiser for us as a couple to spend the money on a down payment for a house, which is a shame that that doesn't come after the fact and that we see that the sacrament is so precious that have a cheaper wedding to, you know, just just get married um, sooner rather than later. Yeah, no, I agree. And and we are seeing that trend play out a lot in among the couples that come for us because we get thousands of engaged couples, as you know, through our course. And so we're monitoring their comments and their feedback. And it's the, the bigger, grander wedding, I think, is part of a manifestation of our materialism as, as a culture. But also when you've delayed your wedding for a long time, and you've waited a long time for it, particularly if you've been living together and you've got a life set up, the wedding becomes more and more important to signify the start of your new life together. 
Whereas, in fact, you've already started, if you're living together, you've already started living together. So the celebration itself has to be something to get your guests excited. They're not getting excited about the fact that you're starting a life together because you've already done that. So it has to be something unique and special. And and so that I'm seeing that coming through. There's certainly a truth to that, Francine. The, um, mm. Amanda and I were reflecting at, at our own wedding. There were, I felt, two types of people at our wedding, all friends and, and family that we love dearly. But there were two types. There were types of uh, people that were at that wedding to pray through the sacrament for a fruitful marriage till death do us part, that they were there on in that church to pray. And there were other people there who were sitting, fidgeting, waiting to get to the real party at the reception to celebrate us as a couple on that day, but let it end there. So I think that we have this this um, contrast today, where especially when religious young people get married and they have secular friends. And it's interesting to actually see on the wedding day the way that different friends celebrate your marriage together. And mm. even in the way that they write their cards their wedding cards and things like that. It's very interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, you know, a faith-filled couple, it's a great opportunity to evangelise your friends and family across all walks of life. So our yeah. weddings are really unique. If you have faith, they're a unique opportunity to actually share some of that faith with your family and friends. I want to move on just to, I guess, the next thing, the, the thing, Michael, picking up on what you said about the fear of failure, which it you know, brings us to this whole idea of the age at first married against the divorce risk. And there's some really interesting statistics around that. Most people, there is a general social belief that if you marry young, you increase the risk of divorce. But it's actually a, not a simple picture. And the pattern has changed in recent years. So it's sort of true for teenage marriage. So we're talking about people under 20, that there is a quite a high risk of divorce or separation within the first five years. But there's actually no benefit in terms of your risk of divorce past your mid to late 20s. So if you want to sort of picture a graph with it starting high at the age of 20 and it tracks down and then it plateaus at about, you know, 26, 27, and then it starts to increase a little bit. So by the time you get to age 32, that line is in divorce risk is increasing by 5% each year. So this idea of if I just wait longer, I give myself a better chance only really works up until your mid 20s. And then after that, it doesn't serve you anymore. Now, why divorce risk is high for teenagers? I don't think that's mysterious to us. You know, there's obviously there's lack of maturity. There could be financial instability. Um, the old shotgun weddings don't happen so much. But if there's a pregnancy in the mix, sometimes that can play a factor where sort of people are perhaps marrying under a sense of duress. Um, sometimes young people can be fleeing a difficult home situation and, and marrying someone is a legitimate way to escape that situation. Again, not a good foundation for a marriage. But the reasons for the increase in risk at the other end are a little more interesting and complicated, I think. Some of the research has suggested that you know older brides and grooms will have had more sexual partners in their history. And there is a relationship between the number of sexual partners we've had and the divorce incidence. So that's basically you know, every additional partner does increase the incidence. There's also an increased likelihood of ex-nuptial children and, and the complications that that brings in. There's another parent involved, so there's always going to be a third person around the fringes of a, of a marriage where you've got ex-nuptial children. And interestingly, the research I was reading, so they termed this phrase congenitally cantankerous 
people. So that's people who just have sort of a bit of trouble with interpersonal relationships. They might be a little bit, you know, just cantankerous, cantankerous, is that how you say, um, or <laughs> irritable or shy or just reactive. And so they have difficulty in their relationships. And of course, they're going to be delayed on that path of forming permanent relationships. So by the time you get older, there's just more of them in that pool. So that's been suggested as a reason. It's kind of interesting, but academic. I always want to reassure people that it's a divorce risk. It's not a guarantee. So we're not saying that if you marry under 20, you are going to get divorced, or if you marry over 32, you are going to get divorced. It's a risk factor. And there are things that you can do. You can be proactive to mitigate that risk. And that, I think, is a more interesting conversation. But before we go any further, Laura or Michael, what, do you have any thoughts or reactions to that kind of information? Is that news to you or does it make sense? Yeah, it does make sense, Fran. I was just thinking when you were talking about that. Also, if you're, if you're waiting to get married and um, to have a family, you've got a risk, especially as the woman, in leaving it too late in your fertile mm-hmm. years. So if you do have infertility problems, which one in 10 do, you need time to chart your cycles, to figure out what's going on. Is there endometriosis in the mix? Is there um, male factor infertility? So it all takes time. So if you're in your late 30s, it's, it can be stressful. So And that puts pressure on a marriage too. So mm, that's mm. what I was coming to mind when you were giving yeah, those. True. And actually infertility and also child loss, which can happen with a lot of couples who have fertility issues, they can have sometimes they can conceive, but they might have repeated miscarriages or stillbirth. All of those increase the risk of marriage breakdown. Michael, any thoughts before we go to a break? Yes, I was thinking about, and Francine, you'd be able to correct me on this if I'm completely wrong here, but uh, I've always referred to the research around you're more likely to end your marriage and divorce if you live together before you're married. Mm. And so that would play into your statistic you were talking about before, if that's correct, that the longer you wait to get married, the more likely you are to be living with your spouse and therefore the more likely you are to be to end up in divorce, which is sad. And that's a that's a really sad concept to grapple yes, with. It um, is. It is. Considering because a lot that, of people actually do that because they're trying to be conscientious and make sure that they're making the right decision to marry this person. So they're kind of thinking if we live together first and we can successfully live together, well, then that will mitigate the risk of divorce. But they actually are increasing the risk of divorce by doing that. Yes. And look, and that's probably a whole other topic that we could unpack um, in a future episode, the reasons why cohabitation is not a great idea. Yeah, let's take a quick, we'll go to a song and then we'll come back and go deeper into the topic. Welcome back. You're listening to Smart Loving Conversations on Radio Maria Australia. We've been talking about young and married and have been looking at some of the data. Now we want to explore it in terms of our faith. So alongside the upward trend in the age of first marriage has been a parallel trend of which we're all familiar, which is the trend in faith decline. Decline in faith practice includes, of course, a decline in sexual restraint outside marriage because those sexual kind of standards or um, mores have really driven by the religious traditions, not just Christianity, but also um, other religious traditions as well. That tends to be the source of, I guess, of a sense of what's an appropriate morality around the way we use our sexuality it comes from those religious traditions. Most dating couples in our culture, therefore, as, as more and more of them disassociate from a religious tradition, most of these dating couples are already sexually active and perhaps a majority will live together for a period of time before deciding to marry. 
the church, and here I'm just going to be speaking specifically about the Catholic Church, but it's true of other traditions as well. The church has been constant in maintaining that sex is exclusively for within marriage. And there's both social and theological reasons for this. The social reasons primarily includes that sex bonds fathers to mothers and to children. So that's an orientation around creating the best environment for raising children is a very important social value, that children are vulnerable individuals and they need the protection. And so even state laws were very much motivated around providing the best environment for the raising of children. But the theological reasons include, I think most importantly, this understanding that comes through the scriptures, that God's love for his people has this character of a nuptial love, that God's love and, and the scriptures often talk about God and the relationship as a covenant, that he is faithful, that he is exclusive, that there's this permanent, that God's love is constant, even when his bride, which is us, is unfaithful, that God remains constant and faithful. Um, so there's this, I guess, description of God's love for his people that is paralleled in the nature of married love, this freely given, permanent, faithful and exclusive and fruitful. Um, so married love is meant to image and make present in the world God's love by having the same kind of characteristics. And so that's a really important reason why I think the church has been, I guess, so vigorous in its defence of its sexual ethics and sexual morality. But what role, I guess, I'm interested now to hear from both of you, Laura and Michael, what role did your faith play in your decision to marry? Michael, you've already kind of sort of referenced it a little bit. Do you have a little bit more that you can expand on that in the light of what we've been talking about? I suppose, yes, you know, we were both young people in, in the parish and our, our relationship was centred on our shared faith and that was easily understood. But in terms of chastity and the idea of delaying sex to marriage, I think that one of the motivators for us was that, that's always stuck with us is the extension of the liturgy, which the sexual act is that in the Catholic faith, your marriage is not actually official until it is consummated, that the Catholic Church will not even recognize your marriage unless you consummate the marriage. And uh, so that the the sexual act is intimately tied to the liturgy of that day four and a half years ago uh, for us. And so uh, I think that, that that gives us a real joy and it as you say, there's a there's a huge openness uh, and permanent f openness that we that we can share with each other in our married love that just isn't possible outside of marriage in the same way. So um, I have to say that that's been the biggest impact on on our mm. marital relationship in that in that sense. Yeah, it's um, it's it's reminding me of uh, I remember doing the course, the engaged course with a, a couple and he was a doctor and she was an occupational therapist and we were approaching the session where we were going to talk about sex and he pulled me aside and he said look Francine I'm a doctor I think I know about and they were living together so I think I know a little bit about this and I said I'm sure you do but we're not talking about the biology of sex we're going to talk about the theology of sex and that was a complete eye-opener to him that he had never considered I mean he'd done study of human sexuality as part of his medical training, but I did never consider that there was a theological dimension to sex. And Michael, thank you for, for bringing that to our attention because it is very much tied to that sacramental expression, isn't it? That, that it's not the kiss and it's not the walking out of the church together that validates the sacrament of marriage, it's the actual consummation. 
Mm. Um, well, in fact, the, the the medical the medicine points us to God, and um, I've always been incredibly fascinated in the medicine of child rearing and how it points us to God. So, for example, you mentioned earlier that the father becomes tied to the yeah. his wife and his children in the marriage. Um, there is there has been studies done that the child be it a boy or a girl when the child comes out of the womb in that first hour they are far more likely to appear to look like the dad than the mum so that the dad has an instant connection with the child wow i haven't heard that that's interesting yeah the mother gets the chance to bond in that nine months but the father doesn't so the father gets that chance when um, the baby comes out fascinating Mm. fascinating Laura, what's your thoughts? To that point, for me, the science behind the church's reasons, the wisdom of the church in regards to saving sex before marriage, I was exposed to that through Jason and Kristalina Evert, who are excellent chastity speakers from the US, and they have just an absolute spiritual gift for breaking open Pope John Paul's Theology of the Body in a very accessible way for young adults. So they actually have a ministry called Chastity Project, and their website's chastity.com that you can check out. But my faith was further enriched through events like World Youth Day, as well as Jason and Kristalina Everett's excellent ministry and their presentations. And what I found really insightful was when they were talking about oxytocin and the importance of waiting until marriage to have sex, because of when you have sex with somebody, oxytocin is released. And that's a hormone which bonds you to another person. And Jason explained in one of his presentations that oxytocin can cloud your judgment of someone, giving you these rose-coloured glasses about them and making you miss kind of red flags or warning signs that perhaps this isn't potentially the best partner for you for life. So, of course, oxytocin is wonderful in marriage, right? Because, you know, you've got the rose-coloured glasses on. Oh, my husband's so wonderful, even though he leaves the toilet seat up or <laughs> whatever, fault he, whatever fault he has. But during dating or courting, you really need to be clear-headed. You don't want to be drunk, <laughs> in inverted yeah. commas, when you're discerning about a major life decision. So you're deciding if this person would be a good mother or father. And, you know, your decision will actually impact future generations it's huge to think about therefore you don't I I was just like that makes sense you don't want a hormone to cloud your decision making ability so and I'd seen it happen with friends like beautiful girlfriends who were just dating guys that I thought were below them (laughs) and it was a result of they were they were sleeping together and that was clouding their judgment and I could see it happening so St. Pope John Paul II had a quote that always sticks with me, which was, chastity is the sure way to happiness. And I really believe that the wisdom there of chastity helped me to find my husband and in my vocation. So I, I heard the message as a young woman. I thought, this is a beautiful, this is the truth. And it's backed up with science, not only the theology. And it just made sense to me. And I thought, it's going to be hard, but I want to give my vocation the best opportunity to thrive. So I think that's sounding like a great point. We should take a break. So I want to have a song and we'll be back shortly. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Smart Loving Conversations on Radio Maria Australia. We've been talking about young and married, and now we want to look at some of the practical things that maybe our church communities, our parishes and so on, what they can do to support young couples. 
Newlyweds face all sorts of challenges as they adapt to life together and they adjust to children and so on. Young couples will often have additional issues, like as opposed to more mature married couples. They'll have additional issues such as incomplete education or careers that are not yet established, less financial savings. Sometimes it'll be the first time living independently. But also many young couples can feel quite isolated because there are not many of their peers in the same life situation. That was certainly true of my experience. And some of them might suffer from a little bit of stigma and judgment being a young married couple. They can be the recipient of a fair bit of judgment or hostility. So what are your tips, Michael or Laura, around practical things that we can do? And you know, reflecting on your own experience, what would have been helpful? What did you receive from the church that you found particularly useful? Well, for me, uh, I was working for my parish at the time and uh, when, when I was discerning marriage and uh, Amanda was part of the parish. So we were we were very intimately connected with the parish and the parish even put on the the spread for our after mass uh, function and they helped print the booklets and they gave us the church for free and all of that stuff on the wedding day was wonderful and uh, it's a wonderful place to work when you're in a young marriage. But since we've grown in our marriage and had to move away from that parish and I've moved away from parish work, I've felt certainly more of a call from the global church to support our marriage, um, especially when when you have young children and you can't be in, as involved in a lot of parish activities as you'd like to be. So at the moment, our the extent of our parish interactions is really on a Sunday and that's it. So for us, it's been interacting with a lot of podcasts like this one and uh, like the Messy Family podcast, uh, getting resources lots of books that we share and read together and then finding prayer resources that work for us and and growing in relationship with God together but i think that sometimes the conversation around what can the church do for me is a misguided question because the the church is us and we are responsible for our own faith i am responsible for my own god and uh and i'm accountable only to him so I need to take charge of my faith and I need to, in my mission to get my spouse to heaven, challenge her to build on her faith. And so for me, it's always been, we need to take initiative here. We need to take the front foot. We can't wait for a parish office somewhere to put on a dinner for young couples or something that's that might not actually be exactly what we need. We need to make the first step. God calls us, but he expects us to respond. He's, um, how we've felt recently. I love that. And you're right. They're, they're, we do have a bit of a consumer mentality sometimes to the, the church, don't we? We shop around for the, the liturgy that suits us. And it's it's not that we shouldn't care about the quality of the liturgy, but the principal reason why we go to Mass is to give praise and worship to the Lord. We shouldn't be not going or bypassing our local parish simply because it doesn't speak to us. And, and that's true of everything in the church that there is. We, we need to tame that consumer mentality and, and actually adopt a different approach. I love that. Thank you. What about you, Laura? You got any thoughts? Yeah, I'm thinking my own journey as a young Catholic and the church supported me by presenting the truth to me, investing in the best chastity speakers. We had World Youth Day in Sydney in my hometown and Pope Benedict came and I was given, I was gifted a compendium of the Catechism of the Catholic Church and also, and I was also gifted a booklet written by Jason Everett called Pure Love and I read it on the train home in my, you know, it was now there an hour back by the time I got off the train I'd completed both readings of both booklets. Then to your point, Michael, 
I got involved in youth ministry, so giving back to the church. And and then when we did our marriage preparation course using the Smart Loving course, we loved being accompanied by a sponsor couple and they gave us so much guidance and support and love and accompanied us through decision-making processes and learning how to be the best spouses that we could to each other that we wanted to be a sponsor couple too. So I like what you said about I was nourished by the church and then I was filled up and that allowed me to then share that that gift and I had a personal relationship with Jesus and I wanted to share that with others and share, you know, our marriage was a witness of God's love to each other but it also is a witness to others as well. And so if you as a married couple um, are not in ministry together, look at ways that you can serve because it just gives back to your own vocation and you become a force for evangelization when you're doing it in your sacramental bond. Certainly. I think that um, even when I was talking right at the start, how sharing our gifts of music, Amanda and I in the parish back when we met, that's been actually one of the only sort of constant things that we have done throughout our marriage, even to this day. We've always maintained that wherever we are, wherever we've moved to, we'll go and sing at Mass, we'll go and help out with the music ministry. And that has been a real marker for our sacramental life together in our vocation. That's great. And it's such a beautiful witness to see a family serving their church community, particularly in the, the music I want to turn now just to a practical, you know, we'd like to have a practical take home. And for this topic, I thought what we do is a morning recitation of vows. The idea of this is it's a private recitation of wedding vows, preferably in the context of prayer. So it's not something you do as a husband and wife, it's something you can individually take on to do. And but what I basically say is just, you know, Lord Jesus, I renew this day the vows I made on our wedding day. I take Byron to be my husband. I promise to be faithful to him in good times and in bad, in sickness and in health. I will love him and honour him all the days of my life. And then I often just add a short prayer for his well-being. And it just works really well as a daily reminder of our mission to love. It's, it's a reminder that my commitment to love is not conditional on whether the other is living up to my expectations. It's what I committed to in these wedding vows. So, again, it's just coming back to, I guess, that idea of the responsibility that I as an individual can take for the nurturing of our marriage. And I think it works partly because it's good psychology. It sets the day up with an expectation, sort of frames my mission, brings it to the forefront of my mind. But it's also a really practical way to access the graces of the sacrament. As we know, all of the sacraments have graces, but it's not like magic fairy dust that on our wedding day we just, you know, we get a dose of it and it just continues to sprinkle on us throughout our marriage. We actually have to pursue it and be open to it and be nurturing the faith that is the receptacle for the grace of the sacrament. And so reciting our wedding vows, I think, is one very simple, practical way, in, in particularly in the context of prayer, that we can really fortify that channel of grace. So, I, again, just interested to hear from each of you. You know, Michael, I don't know if you want to go first, sure. how this idea resonates or if you had any practical experience, um, if you could share the impact. Sure. Um, I have a friend who, another Catholic friend, who he doesn't refer to his wife as his wife. He calls her his bride. And uh, it's always, my bride's this, my bride did that, and my bride was. And every time that he says that, it reminds me that he is married and it reminds him that he is married to his bride and it reminds me of the day that his bride walked in the church. And when I read the, this recitation, 
a wedding vows that reminded me of that it's a beautiful beautiful way to remember that everything that we do in our marriage vocation is linked back to that sacramental liturgy that we have have delivered to each other uh, the priest doesn't deliver the sacrament it's the it's the couple that deliver the sacrament to each other in the catholic marriage so when we renew that when we refresh that in our married lives it brings our own energies back to serve our spouse better one of the things that i do is in my rosary each morning dedicate the first decade to giving me the grace to help my wife get to heaven and giving me the grace to be the best spouse that i can be and that's the first decade that's the first prayer that i say each day and uh, it's it, it does the, uh, a similar thing to what you're saying fran setting up the day with that i think that mm. this is a wonderful way for someone to set up their day and remind themselves of their responsibility. No, no expectations on their spouse. It's all we have our own expectations just on ourselves. Mm. And look, and I've really, I wish I could say I have been doing this for the 30 odd years that we've been married. It's really only more recently that I've connected with the power of this daily recommitment. And it, it's kind of like when you've had a little bit of setback and hard times or desert seasons in, in a marriage recommitting to the vows can be a really powerful way of just okay let's put our hand to the plow laura what about you i love this take home fran thank you for suggesting it when i was reading the show notes and preparing for today my husband currently is traveling asia for work so he's in korea at the moment he went from singapore to thailand to korea so we've been away from each other for two weeks so i just did a voice memo recording on whatsapp renewing the vows <laughs> did that a couple of hours ago I was so keen to see his reaction and he just wrote back saying oh that's so lovely (laughs) (laughs) so it is a really beautiful take home I'm going to take that into our own daily prayer spousal prayer and um do it more often yeah no I think it'll be really good we ought to take a break I think and then we'll be back for our final segment Hi there, friends. This is Radio Maria Australia, and it's time for our Smart Loving Q&A. We get questions every day from wives, husbands, and couples from around the world. So, Laura, what have you got for us today? Yes, Fran, today we've got a question from Bryce, and he asks the following. What do I do if my partner isn't ready to come back to the marriage and doesn't trust that I will change? My wife moved out three months ago after constant arguments regarding finances and triggers we both had from stress. We have a son who is about to turn three and he is living with her. We went to lunch a couple of days ago and she told me she doesn't want to be in a relationship anymore because even if we get back together, she will still have anger and contempt against me. So thanks, Bryce, for your question. I just want to say I'm so sorry. This must be incredibly hard. And especially if you were constantly arguing about finances, I can imagine that would have been very stressful for both of you. My thoughts were that it sounds like you were not on this, both on the same page. So perhaps there was a difference in priorities, values and ideals of how you and your wife were spending the money that came into the family. I think maybe looking at agreeing together on a weekly budget. And I, I guess just from a female point of view, I'm trying to think about her point of view, stepping into her shoes. If she's a young mum of a three-year-old and she's not working, I don't know the circumstances, but personally, I think I would want and need some kind of autonomy and perhaps an allowance to spend on things, wants and needs for the myself and for the child. And possibly without you as the husband looking over her shoulder and maybe criticising those purchasing decisions. So in terms of how you can gain her trust, 
look, I would just work hard on yourself and perhaps look at coming up with a budget that you could present to her and make sure that it works for both of you. Because I can't imagine that separating from each other would be financially better as you're going to be paying two lots of living costs, etc. So yeah, my advice would be just you can figure out and you can upskill in how to communicate better and not be triggered by finances. So find a resource, a book, a coach, a podcast or a counsellor that you can work with and learn from and be guided by and make sure that you're not getting triggered and that you can have those conversations because a husband and wife need to be able to talk about money without it being a hot button and a hot topic. Michael, do you have any thoughts to add? Well, I'm grossly underqualified to answer questions like these, but I will I will point the listener to the Messy Family podcast, to the family board meeting that they promote there. That's a messy family podcast, the family board meeting. And that, uh, it sounds to me like there are some wounds and there are always wounds in every marriage. And tension always comes when our wounds simply rub up against each other. Um, That's the reality of of marriage is that we we both bring our wounds to the marriage and they do rub against each other. What I like to think about though is that our wounds are like sandpaper and the more that they rub against each other, the smoother they will become and we smooth each other out and we absorb each other's wounds and we take on each other's wounds so that we can grow together. The family board meeting is exactly what you were saying there, Laura, about having a budget, but it's framed within the marital sacrament. So the board meeting begins with affirmations. You need to express, look your partner in the eye and affirm them. Then you need to set your family and individual goals your spiritual goals, your physical goals, your social goals, the goals for your children. And it's only once you've been through that process of affirmation and sharing goals, dreaming big together and actually getting excited about your marriage that then you draw up your spreadsheet and you you do your budget with those goals in mind and with with your life together in mind. It's no use setting up a budget for a marriage that's going to end or, or for a marriage that's just on a tether. You need to dream and get excited about what your marriage could be, uh, step away from your wounds and be open to the opportunity that marriage presents for you, for you and your spouse. But I'll pray for, for this this person. Thanks, Michael. And we'll put a link for the Messy Families board meeting in the show notes. My only thoughts to add there, for Bryce is that, you know, in situations like this, I, I get spouses regularly through our coaching service that we offer uh, in similar situations. And I guess I'm always keen to remind them, look, you can't force change on your spouse, but there's a lot you can do for yourself. And to sort of get serious about doing your own work, process the anger and resentment. The, the situation is going to be causing a lot of additional harm and wounds to the spouse that's seeking assistance so it's really important I think to lean in hard on your faith a lot of a lot of them when they come to me their faith has been neglected for years and years and so one of the strategies that we um, will work on together is how to help build their sense of reliance on God. I think marriage in this day and age is almost impossible to do without God. And so it's sometimes I think the struggles that we face in marriage is really not that God wants us to suffer, but God giving us an opportunity to reorientate and pivot back to relying more on God. Um, I'd also say Our Lady Under of Nuts, I just have had such incredible experience of situations where I just thought there's no way I can sort this one out. It wasn't with our marriage, it was with um, you know, a family member. And I, it was 25 years old and I just thought, this is never going to be resolved. We're just going to die with this kind of tension between us. 
And I prayed to Our Lady Our of Knots at the World Meeting of Families in Philadelphia. They had a little shrine there. And I tell you, within two months, something happened in my heart and the way I was perceiving the situation and it just opened the door to a reconciliation. And I didn't do a lot of work at all. I mean, our lady did it all for me. Um, oh, it was amazing. And so I just kind of think she's a champion. Like when we've got really knotty situations and I think about it as a bit like if you imagine a big knotty piece of rope or ribbon, if you're both holding on to each end of that you cannot undo that knot and when we pray to our lady undo of knots what i effectively did is i put down my end of the rope and put it into her hands and so she could undo the knot (laughs) i was trying to undo it by pulling on it harder and trying to defend my position and that was only making the knot worse so this spiritually i just think that image of the undo of knots is really helpful in terms of thinking when you feel overwhelmed and you don't know what to do just pray to Our Lady Under of Knots. I mean, it, it sounds very unpractical, but it actually works. So I just uh, encourage people to do that. Is it time to go to our Bless You, Laura? We must be running tight on time now. Well, before we share our blessings, Fran, I'm, if anyone else has questions for us, you can contact us via the Radio Maria website or visit smartloving.org forward slash conversations. Now, before we sign off, we do want to share our blessings with you, our little part of the show where we share what we've been blessed by in the last couple of weeks. So Fran, you've got a great bless you to share with our friends and our listeners. Yeah, I've been listening to the story of a soul. So that's the kind of autobiography of St. Therese of Lisieux. And I was just actually listening to the audio book on the Hello app. And it's just the reader is just got a beautiful voice that seems to, it's a little bit childlike because Therese died when I think she was 24. So she had this extraordinary, youthful, she was a saint from a very young age. She entered the convent at the age of 15, got special permission. But I have just found her story, which just convicted me so much. It's beautiful. So I really recommend that. You can get it on the Hello app. But if you can't get you don't have the app, and you can just read the book, really impressive. She's now, she's one of my girls. I'm, I'm in love. And a doctor of the church. Yes. Which is a big deal. Michael, what's your bless you for our podcast today? Uh, well, I have two. I'm sorry to break the rules. Um, the first one is the Messy Family Podcast, which I mentioned before. Any of those are um, just amazing, life-changing. I've shared them with lots of young couples um, and friends of ours, and, and everyone loves them. And the other one that that really helps my own spiritual life is the Average Shepherd Podcast, which is with Father Sam French, who's a, he's one of my closest mates. He's the godfather of my first child and a parish priest in Wurunga here in Sydney. And uh, Sam's podcasts are five to 10 minutes. They're very brief, but they're clear, they're concise, and they're contextual homilies on on the readings for the week. So um, a great way to start your day, getting that little sound bite of inspiration and and clear, theologically sound unpacking of the scriptures from a, a beautiful priest who loves his people and loves his God. So I recommend those two things. Oh, I must look that up. He's a local, that's great. My bless you for this show was, because I mentioned it also in the podcast, is the Chastity Project, Jason and Kristalina Evert, their ministry. So it's www.chastity.com. And you can find many of Jason and Kristalina's resources there. One in particular is their presentation to high school students called Romance Without Regret. It is really great for godchildren who are teenagers and I've recommended it to many young adults. If, you, if you're if you aware of it, it's great. Maybe you're not a teenager yourself, but it's a beautiful message of breaking open the theology of the body 
for teens. So that brings us to the end of our time together. You can find more information, including links to our blessings, show notes and more at smartloving.org slash conversations. We're Francine Parola and Laura Kane from Smart Loving with special thanks to our guests. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. And we pray that you will be blessed in your walk with the Lord today and we lift you up and all your intentions to our patron saints, Our Lady Undo of Knots. Pray, pray for, for us. us. St John Paul II. Pray, pray for, for us. us. And this is Radio Maria Australia. Goodbye. Mm-hmm.